Well, good morning, church. We're glad you're here this morning. We are going to continue in our series called Together. And if you're kind of new to this whole series, or if you've been here a while, I just want to remind you that the whole idea of Together is about the church, who we are as a church, how we're supposed to function as a church. And so for the last really five weeks, and we're going to wrap this series up next week, and you don't want to miss next week because the entire service is going to be revolving around the Lord's Supper, and so you do not want to miss next week. It's going to be incredible. But we've been talking about Together for five weeks now. And really the whole idea behind this series was reminding us as the body of Christ, reminding us as the church that we are to function together. And so we started with the truth of togetherness. And we said this, that the, 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 the Bible teaches clearly, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, that we are part of the body of Christ. That means this, is that we all belong to one body. That means everybody has value and everybody is needed. Whether you think you are or not, you are needed. And so we talked about the truth of togetherness. Then we began to look at things that threaten togetherness, like things like conflict or bound, the lack of boundaries we have in our lives. Those things can rob and, and fracture and threaten togetherness. Then a couple of weeks ago, we had an awesome privilege of talking about the beauty of togetherness and had Tyler Peck up here, and he was able to share his story. And if you remember, this is the beauty of togetherness. The beauty is this, as if you're a follower of Jesus, we all have a story. Amen? Amen. We all have a story how Jesus has rescued us, and that's a beautiful thing. And then last week, we talked about the glue to togetherness. And the glue, does anybody remember what the glue is? Oh, you listened so well last week, right? The glue of togetherness is love. In fact, Scripture said this way, Paul said this way, let your love be genuine. And we talked about what does that mean? What does that look like? And so we talked about what holds us together is the love we have for Christ and the love we have for one another. Now today, I want to talk about one last thing before we wrap it up next week. I want to talk about God's design for togetherness. What was God's design and this idea of togetherness. Now, when I started thinking about God's design, I began, my, sometimes, I don't know anybody else like this, but my brain will be focused on one thing, and then it will shoot off to something else. Anybody else like that? Like squirrel, and then you go? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's my brain sometimes. So I'm thinking about God's design, and randomly I had this thought. I wonder, in the world we live in, what are some things that were created or designed for one thing, but have been used for something totally different? And so... Because we have Google, I thought I would find out the answer to those things. And so I began to Google, what are some things that were designed for one purpose that are used for something completely different? And I have a several things that I want to mention that you've all heard of. And let's just start with this one, bubble wrap. Now, what do we use bubble wrap for? Anybody know? Not a trick question. We use it for what? Packaging, right. Does anybody know? And if you know this, and you might earn a lunch or something. Does anybody know what bubble wrap's original purpose was? Who said that? That's exactly right. Textured wallpaper is what bubble wrap was designed for. Now listen, that would be a great design gone terribly wrong, right? I mean, can you imagine lining your kid's bedroom with the wallpaper of bubble wrap and you wonder what in the world explosion has taken place in that room, right? So bubble wrap, that's great. Yeah, it was designed by wallpaper. How about Listerine? Anybody know, what do we use Listerine for? Come on, bad breath. Let's just be honest. Let's call it what it is, bad breath, right? Does anybody know what Listerine was originally designed for? Sterilization. Sterilization. Who, who said that? You guys must have looked this stuff up. Okay, so sterilization, and it was also used as a cure for the common cold. You were to drink it, and that could also cure, hopefully, your common cold. How about this one? How about uh, Coca-Cola? Uh, what do we drink Coca-Cola for today? 
to get a caffeine high, right? Okay, does anybody know what Coca-Cola was designed for? Yeah. No, but that's a really good thing. Yeah, no. <laughs> Toilet cleaning. Yeah. You ought to try that when you get home. Don't tell mom and dad I said that. Try that and see how that works out, right? So Coca-Cola was originally designed to help people who are addicted to morphine to help su- to kind of kind of to, to reduce anxiety and the headaches that came with morphine uh, withdrawal. And obviously that didn't work out very well, right? And so that's Coca-Cola. How about Play-Doh? What is Play-Doh? What is Play-Doh? Play-Doh is putty for kids, right? And you've all had it. You've all probably tried to make it, which didn't go good. And you got it all over the house. But does anybody know what Play-Doh was originally designed for? It was designed for wallpaper cleaner. That's what it was designed for. And I'm sure somewhere along the line they realized that as you put Play-Doh on the wallpaper to clean it, you're leaving a residue of putty all over the wallpaper, and it didn't work out well. Now, here's the biggest one, and, I, and if you fit in this category, I'm not, not advocating anything. It was just another one that pulled up. Rogaine. Anybody know what Rogaine is used for today? Come on. Hair what? Yeah, yeah so if you have hair loss, use Rogaine, and hopefully you grow a plant on top of your head, right? So that's what Rogaine is for. Does anybody know what Rogaine was originally designed for? To take it to help lower your blood pressure. That's what it was for. And so you, and look, I could go on and on and on because I looked at a ton, way too much stuff. I looked at a lot of stuff, but the point is these things were designed for one purpose and they are used for something totally different. Here's why I say that. I think this idea of being together, we've kind of done the same thing with that. I think when you think about being together, sometimes some of us may assume that togetherness just means, hey, be in the same room together. Or some of us may assume that togetherness is this idea that we've all got to think exactly like everybody else. And I just want to say to you, that is not what Jesus or what God had intended for togetherness. It's not just about being in the same room with one another. It's, I mean, is it oh, good that we're in the same room? Absolutely. We're not to forsake the assembling together. But is that all what togetherness means? Absolutely not. Is it togetherness the sense of just everybody's got to think exactly the same way? I hope you don't always think like I think, because I think weird and bizarre things, and we need different kind of thinkers, so that's now what it means. So what does, what is God's design for togetherness? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 17, and I want to read three verses today, three verses that really kind of paints this picture of God's design for togetherness. And if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand with me in honor of reading God's word. John chapter 20. This is the words of Jesus himself. He says, I do not ask for these only, we'll come back to that in a minute, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as the Father are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And them, you, and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Let's pray. God, I love you, and I thank you for this passage. And I pray as we think about your design for togetherness, that we would realize it's so much bigger than just being in the same room. It's so much grander than just everybody thinking the same way, that your idea of togetherness is something that we can get our hands around this morning. So be with us. May you teach us the truth from your word, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you think about and you look at this passage, we find out over and over and over again, what is, what is God's design 
for togetherness. You ready? Here's what it is. God's design for togetherness is oneness. He wants us to be one. You say, well, Doug, if we're together, are we one? Doesn't mean the same thing, right? You live together in a house with your family, but are you always of the same oneness? Are you always on the same page? How many families have disagreements? Okay, if you're not if you're not smiling, okay, you're probably you know maybe you need to be around my family. We all have disagreements, right? And when you have disagreements, is everybody on the same page? No. The way you resolve it is you figure things out. So this idea of oneness is not just about being on the same page. It's not just about being in the same room together. Jesus lets us know this idea of togetherness is about being one. One with the Father and one with each other. And this is bigger. This, listen, oneness is bigger than the, being in the same room. It's bigger than everybody thinking the same way. It is bigger than all of that. And what we see in this passage is that Jesus kind of unpacks for us. Jesus establishes for us some things about oneness. Because when you think of oneness, here's three words I want you to think. They're kind of synonymous. To be one means to be unified, and it means to be in unity. So it's the idea of being unity and unified and one. It's all, all three words. We're talking the same thing. And so Jesus really establishes three things that I want to see in John chapter 17. And the first one's found in verse 20. Go back to verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word. Now, real quickly, just a little bit of background to what I just read. In John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, is some of the most beautiful passages of Scripture you will ever read. It's the section of Scripture where Jesus is in the upper room for the last time with his disciples. From John 13 through John 17 is this one big moment when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And in John 13, you see Jesus do something like this. He comes in, and what, what does Jesus do? He, he washes his disciples' feet. And he ends that time with them going, hey, listen, just as I've done this to you, I want you to go and do it for other people. Not meaning we need to wash everybody's feet, but just as I have humbly served you, I want you to humbly serve other people. And after Jesus washes their feet, what happens next? He has this moment where they take the traditional Jewish Passover meal with his disciples. And one of those beautiful things, we'll come back to it next week, but one of those beautiful things is Jesus going through a traditional Jewish Passover meal that's surrounded around four different cups, and he's beginning to walk through it. It's during that time of this Passover meal that Jesus changes the narrative. It's a, not no longer about a lamb that will be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin, but that he is the perfect lamb who would be sacrificed. And he introduces this idea that this juice that you're drinking now represents my blood. This bread that we're now eating represents my body, which will be beaten and bruised and battered for you. And Jesus, in this beautiful way, takes this traditional Jewish Passover and everything that the Jewish people would have known about and said, listen, what we're looking at here, I'm about to fulfill all that. You'll be able to see the, the, the bread and the wine in my body, in my blood. And when they're done taking this meal together, then Jesus does something that's amazing. Some people call it Jesus' high priestly prayer because Jesus spent some time praying. And in verse 6 through 9 on chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples. Now, why would Jesus pray for disciples? Because he knows he's about to be crucified, right? He knows that he's about to go to a grave. He knows that he's going to rise from the grave. He knows he's going to come back and give instructions. But ultimately, Jesus knows he's leaving his disciples. 
And he's praying for them that they can stay focused, they can stay passionate, they can stay on point with the message that he has permeated to them for the last three, three and a half years. And so he prays for the disciples, but in verse 20, we see Jesus change it just a little bit. Let's put verse 20 back on the screen if we can. I want you to know something with me. I do not ask for these only, talking about the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through the word. In other words, I'm not just going to pray for my disciples who I'm leaving. I'm going to pray for those who are going to come generation after generation after generation who are going to put their faith in me. You know what that means? Jesus, in essence, prayed for us. You ever thought about that? He, in that moment, prayed for you, and he prayed for me. And so the first thing we're going to see here in this passage is this foundation of unity. In this passage where Jesus prays for us, he points out the foundation of unity. And he says it this way. If you notice, the foundation of unity is he points out in this in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for those only, but also those who will believe in who? Me. Now listen to me. The foundation of unity that we see Jesus talk about is not denominational unity. Now, is there anything wrong with a denomination affiliation? Absolutely not. This church is a Southern Baptist church, meaning we have belief systems in place that are conservative. Like, for example, if tomorrow the Southern Baptist Convention came out and said the virgin birth no longer matters, this church would cease to be a Southern Baptist church because we believe the Bible from beginning all the way to the end, through and through, that it is the Word of God and it's the sole authority for how we live our lives. Amen? We believe that. And so there's no problem with denomination affiliation, but that's not the foundation of our unity. The foundation of our unity is not uniformity, that everybody thinks and acts and does the same stuff. The foundation of our unity is what Jesus says is those who have a shared faith in him. He said, those who would believe in me. Do you know what unites us? Is our faith in Christ. Well, I've been a member of Cross. Oh, no, no, no. Forget that. Do you know what unites us? Do you know what makes us one? Do you know what makes us unified? Is our shared collective faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you know, there he says, those who would come down the pike that believe in me. Jesus saying, the foundation of your unity is going to be me. I am the source. I am the foundation of what brings the body of Christ Together. For example, we've got, I don't know, Ron's not here today, but John, if you don't have a good foundation of the house, what's going to happen when the house gets built and a hurricane comes through? John, what's going to happen? It's going to come crumbling down, right? We see that in Scripture. Jesus tells the parallel between the house built on the sand and the house built on the rock. Listen, the foundation for every believer of unity is Jesus. He's what brings us together. He is the reason we are here this morning. He is the only name worth exalting this morning. It's all about Jesus. And I hope you believe that this morning. He is our foundation. In fact, the Apostle Paul, you don't have to turn there, but Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses like through 4 through 6, he actually tells us kind of the oneness we have in Jesus. Paul says things like this, in Christ, we, have, we are one body. Meaning that there's only one body of Christ. Now, we are a local body of Christ, but we do understand there is a universal body of Christ, right? That anybody who lives on this planet who has faith in Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation, they too are part of the body of Christ. Do you believe that this morning? 
Okay, so there's one body of Christ. We are a local body of Christ, but there's one body of Christ. He says, we have one body. And then he said, we have one body, but we have one spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. We all function and are guided and directed and convicted by one spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit. He says, you have one hope. What is our hope? That one day when I leave this world, because I put my faith in Christ, that I'm going to spend all eternity with him in heaven, rejoicing and worshiping him. We have one hope. Then he says, you know, you have one hope, you have one Lord, meaning Jesus is the only way. He says, you have one faith, meaning there's only one way that we can get to heaven. And then he says, you have one baptism, which means that we've all been indwelled and filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, basically says, listen, let me tell you how the oneness works in the body of Christ. There's one faith, there's one Lord, there's one baptism, one body. In Christ, you are one. And so Paul builds that big case. Listen to me, church. The foundation of our unity is Jesus. Because listen, if he's not our foundation, our unity will crumble. If he's not our foundation, what we have is not unity. It's like-mindedness. If Jesus is not our foundation, we don't have oneness. We're not unified. There's not unity. There's fractions, and there will be divisions. What unites us, what brings us together is the foundation, and that foundation is Jesus. If you believe that, say amen this morning. Now listen, that unity that we're supposed to have is visible to a lost world through our love, obedience, and commitment to the Lord. See, our unity, listen to me, our unity, notice my pronouns here, our unity is noticed by the world that we live in by our love, by our obedience, and by our commitment to the Lord. So the world can see unity in us by our unity together. The foundation of our unity is Christ. The second thing I want you to notice that Jesus kind of established is found in three different verses, and I just want to read pieces of them. First of all, verse 21, the very first part. Jesus says this, that they may all be one. Verse 22, the very end, he says that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. Now, think about it. Here's the second thing that Jesus established. Yes, he's established the foundation of unity, but now he establishes his desire for unity. Now, follow me because I'm about to jump off into a pit real fast and I'm going to get out. I want you to follow me. Because I know what some of you think because you're smarter than I am. You're going, wait a minute. You just said we are one in Christ and now you're saying that Jesus desires us to be one in him. I know, that's exactly what I said. See, our foundation's in Christ. We are one in Christ, right? But also, at the same token, Jesus desires for us, for us to be one. Now, why, why is there a difference there? Because there's a Greek word, it's a verb, and it's the word be. Did you notice there that three times Jesus says that they may be one, that they may be one as we are one, and they may be perfectly one. That small Greek word, that verb be, means two things. It means, number one, position and practice. So when we talk about being one in Christ, Jesus is our foundation. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are one in him. We are unified. We have unity. But at the same token, the word be also means an idea of living. It's not just status. It's also about living. So while we are one, we need to live as one. Are you with me on that? 
So Jesus in this prayer is like, not only do I want them to know that they are one in me, but I want them to live as one. So he says, may they be one. May they be one like we are one. I pray that they can be perfectly one. I mean, Jesus like, listen, I know that they are one in me. I want them to know that, but I want the church to live as one. I want them to live in unity. I want them to live unified. So his desire for us to be one, first of all, he desires us for us to be one with each other. Now, did you notice there when Jesus says, may they be one as you and I are one, he's talking to the Father? And if you think about that, okay, if Jesus desires for us to be one as he and the Father are one, here is the question that I have. What does that mean? How are Jesus and the Father one? And the Trinity, I mean, the Holy Spirit, how are the Trinity, how are they one? Because Jesus says, I want them to experience oneness, not only in status, but in how they live, like you and I are one, not only in status, but how we function. So what does that mean? Well, Jesus gives insight. The first thing we see about the Trinity is this, that they are one in motive. I want you to write that down. They are one in motive. Look at me in verse 22. It says this, the glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. What's the two words you see over and over again in that passage? The word glory. One, yes, we talked about one, but glory, right? Now, when you read scripture, here's something we don't talk about. We don't really use it a lot in English language, but it's a big deal. This idea of glory, this idea of praise, this idea of honor, this idea of respect is all wrapped up and even presence is all wrapped into this notion of glory. Do you think Jesus was obsessed and driven by giving the Father glory? Sure he was. In fact, do you remember when the children came to Jesus and they were trying to silence the children and Jesus basically said, fine, you want to silence the children, fine, but even the rocks are going to cry out. You remember that? Why? Because even creation declares the glory of the Lord. And Jesus, if you looked at all his ministry there, he said, listen, Lord, you've given me glory. I've given to them. He's basically saying, listen, we need to live a life that is driven by bringing you glory and honor and praise and worthiness. And Jesus, I would contend, was driven by that. So how much more should we be driven by that? How much more should our lives be driven by the one motive to bring God glory? If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you remember when Jesus says that you may you let your light so shine before men that people may see your good works and do what? Praise your Father in heaven. In other words, I want you to live in such a way that when people see you living obediently, when people see you living committed to me, when people see you loving like you love me, when people see that, that in their, their response to that is that they would bring glory and honor to me. That my life might be lived in such a way that when people see me, I point them to Christ. That's how we can be driven by this one mode of bring God glory. And you know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to what? The glory of God, right? Everything we do and how we live is designed for one motive. Listen, the motive is this. I said it a couple weeks ago. is never to make yourself the hero of the story. The motive is this. is to bring honor and glory to the Lord. In our marriage, in our workplace, in our friendships, everything that we do should be driven by one motive, to bring honor and glory to the Lord. Not self-glory. I don't know about you, but does anybody like a pat on the back? 
Come on, come on, come on. No, no liars in the room. Anybody like a pat on the back, right? I do. I, you know, when people say you do a good job, what do you say when people say you do a good job? Oh, no, thank you so much. Don't, you, it's almost this idea of like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't worry about it, but keep it coming, right? Because we all like that, right? Listen, I expect to hear that when you leave today. But anyway, uh, I'm just kidding. But here's what I'm saying. We need to be living and driven by one motive, and that's that my life brings glory to him. Now, for some of us, that's an ouch kind of moment, right? But you know what? The way that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are one is the idea of glory. Jesus was driven by it, and so should we. So we see that the Trinity has one motive. We also see that Jesus says they have one mission. Look with me in verse 23. He says, in the, halfway through, he says, so that the world may know that you have sent me. In other words, I want them to be unified so that the world know you may send me. Why would Jesus want the world to know that he's been sent from God? So that lives could be changed, right? What is the one mission of the Father that's the mission of the Son, that's the mission of the Holy Spirit? You know what the mission is? That people might be you know, exposed to the truth, become aware of their sinfulness, and they might trust Jesus as their Savior. One mission. One motive, bring glory to God. One mission, and that's for people to pass from death and to life. And Jesus says, listen, even he and the Father have one mission, and that's for lost people to be saved. And we said this a couple weeks ago, but how important is it for us to live our lives in such a way that when people see our love for one another, see our treatment of one another, see that we are authentic and not fake, that they look at our lives and they know, listen, they know something's different about us. And that when they ask us what's different about us, and we're able to give this one mode of glory to God, it's because Jesus has changed my life, that then they get to hear this one mission of how they can pass from death to life. Listen, I don't know whether you believe this or not, but the mission that we are all called to is to be on mission for people to have an eternity that's changed, that moves from eternity apart from Christ to eternity with Christ. We are all on mission to see lost be found. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have one mission, for lost to be saved. And then they have one more thing. They have one message. Look at verse 23, the very end. That he says, so that the world may know that you've sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Do you know what the one message of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is? It's his love. It's the love of God. The one message is the depth and the width and the full breadth of how much God loves them. That's their message. Is that our message? Listen, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I struggle with this. Sometimes when I get out, in, in, whether it be in public or in relationships or whatever it is, sometimes my actions and my attitude and my words and my tone and all those kind of things do not demonstrate love. Anybody else resonate with that, right? We don't demonstrate love. Well, what message are we sending to a lost world? See, what we need to be sending is this message of that I love you just because. I love you without conditions. I love you. And you know why I can love you that way? You know why I can love Lily that way? Is because I have been loved that way, right? And I have received that love. And because I've received it and been loved that way by God Almighty, I can love that way. And so that's basically what Jesus is telling us is that, listen, I have a desire for you all to be one, just as the Father and I are one. You know how? We are one in motive. To bring glory to him. We are one in mission to see lost people saved, and we have one message, and that's the love of God. 
Listen, there's no other motive, there is no other mission, and there is no other message. And he says, I want them to be one as we are one like this. But he also has a desire for us to be one with the Lord. Look with me in verse 21 at the very beginning. He says, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Verse 23 says this, in them, I in them, and you in me. In other words, I want there to be a oneness with us too. I want the, them to be one with us. I in them, and you and me, that they may be one, and they may be one in us. Now, what does that mean for us to be one with the Lord? That means that we live a life in rhythm to the Lord. That means we live a life in rhythm to God's word. We live our life in rhythm to the things that the Lord says, here's how we're to live our life, here's how we shouldn't live our life. That means taking the Holy Spirit that is in us and letting it guide us and direct us, and we actually commit to following the Holy Spirit. And so when you think about what Jesus established, he's established this foundation of unity. Our unity is in him. But secondly, we see his desire for unity. And his desire is that we would not only be one, but we would live as one. One motive, one mission, one message. And that we would be one and live as one with God Almighty. But there's one more thing I want you to notice in the passage. It's found in verse 21. It says this, verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then verse 23, and, love, and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, the last thing we see that Jesus establishes, yes, we have foundation, yes, we see the desire, but the last thing is we see the goal of unity. What is Jesus' goal for his church not only being unified, but acting unified. Not only being one, but living as one. We tell us what his goal is. First of all, he says his goal is that they may realize how much they are loved. He says, so that the world may know that you've sent me and you have loved them as you have loved me. That he says, I want the world to know how much you really love them. Now, when we live a life honoring and pleasing to the Lord, when we live a life loving people the way God loves people, does the lost world see that love through us? Yes. And so one of the goals of us living as one, not just being one, but living as one, is that a lost world might realize how much an eternal God loves them. Because guess what? Listen, come on. Everybody look at me. Everybody in this room is jacked up. All of us are. All of us have issues. All of us have stories of rebellion. All of us have stories of choosing other things other than God. There's not one of us in this room that have got our lives together. Amen? Okay, some of you were a little reluctant in saying that, so I'll say it again. Now, one of us in this room have our lives together, amen? Okay, none of us do. And when a lost world sees us loving each other and loving the world, they're going, man, something's different about those people. What is it? Well, you know what? The reason that a jacked up person like me can do and be and be used by God is because he has loved me bigger and better than I've ever been loved. He loves me more than I can even imagine. And guess what? He loves you like that too. See, when we hear stories of people that are messed up, jacked up, listen, I've grown up in church, and you know one of the things that wears me out more than anything is I, I'm, a, I'm an eye person. I like to look at people's eyes. I don't know if you like that or not. That may creep you out. You may put your head down when you walk in now. I don't know. But here's what I know. Your eyes tell the story of your life. 
Your eyes tell a story whether you're going through a tough time or things are great because that just permeates joy or it permeates sadness. And listen, when we start looking at people and we start noticing people, we see people who've gone through difficult times. Maybe that's you. And when you can think about how much God has loved you despite what you've done, despite who you used to be, despite the sin that was in your life, when we talk about that and when people are able to see that in our lives, it sends a message that they can be loved and they are loved too. Because even in the lost world out there, you know what they think? They think there's no way a God that you're talking about can love somebody like me. They have no idea what I've said. They have no idea what I've done. They have no idea. Doesn't matter, but he knows. And guess what? He still loves you. And he doesn't love you with conditions. Hey, clean your life up first. No, 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 no. I just love you. Listen, you give me your heart, I'll take care of the rest. And so one of the goals of unity is the world may know how much God loves them. The second goal he mentions here is the world might believe. That the world might believe that our life could be used in such a way that it would show the world the love of Christ that people might believe. It's not just about knowing God's love. He wants the goal of unity, the goal of us being and living as one, to send a message to the world of his love so that ultimately when they, rece- when they hear that love, they would receive that love and they would believe. Now, in this passage, and there's so much more here, Jesus kind of points out this foundation of unity, which is him. We see his desire for us not just to be one, but to live as one, to live in unity. And then we see his goal of unity, that a lost world might know how much he loves them and that people that are lost might choose to believe. Now, if I ask you, and we were sitting across the table, do you disagree with the foundation, the goal of unity? You go, absolutely not. I totally agree with what Jesus said there. But here's the real question for the day. Do we have the same desires that Jesus had? In other words, do we have a personal desire to be about one motive, to bring glory to God? Do we have the desire to be about one mission to see people saved? Do we have a desire to share one message, and that is the love of God? Not just individually, but collectively. Is Do we have one motive, one mission, and one message? And maybe for some of us that are believers here today, you're like, you know what, listen, my life is pretty much self-absorbed. I mean, come on, if we were honest, a lot of us are that way. Our life is all about us. There's, I've said it before, but there's a trinity in our lives, and it's not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What is it? Me, myself, and I, right? And some of us live that way, right? And so for some of us that are believers today, maybe what we need to do is we need to find ourselves at this altar recommitting to one motive. Lord, may my life bring glory to you. Maybe we need to commit to one mission. You know what? Every day I get up, my mission today is do all I can so that maybe somebody can pass from death to life. And we need to be about one message And that message is not you being right. That message is the love of God. Because we live in a jacked up, broken, chaotic world, don't we? And if there was ever time that they need the church to rise up and not only be one, but to live as one and to show the love of Christ to a broken world, it's now. I don't care what your political view is. I don't care what your view on anything else is. At the end of the day, our world needs the church to step up and to show and to demonstrate the love that Christ has demonstrated for us. And so maybe as a believer, you've got to go, you know what? I've been having the wrong motive in my life. I've not been focused on the mission. I've not been focused on the right message. And today, you just need to commit to the Lord. Or maybe you're here this morning saying, you know what, Doug? You keep talking about the love of God, and, and I've been around these people for a while in this room, and Man, there is something different about them. They love different than other people have loved. 
they care different than other people. Well, let me tell you why they love and why they care. Is because Jesus has changed them. And maybe today for the first time, you need to open your heart up and you need to surrender your life to Christ. And you need to receive the love that I've been talking about all morning by saying, yes, I know you love me and you love me so much that that love was demonstrated on a cross and I want to surrender my life to you. And if you've never made that decision, today would be a great day to do that. Or maybe you're here this morning and like so many of us, you just got junk in your life. You got stuff going on in your life. And maybe you've seen somebody put their arms around you and to pray with you. Well, when that time comes over here, we're going to have Jason and Kelly over here by this, this curtain. They're going to pull it back to kind of get away from the music. And if you need somebody to pray with you, and Pat and Willie are going to be right over here, and they're going to pull the curtain back. And if you just need some people to pray with you, they would love to pray with you. They would love to just talk to you and encourage you in the Lord this morning. So here's the question. How is the Lord moving in your heart right now? Do you have one motive for your life? Are you living out one mission, and are you passionate about one message, which is the love of Christ? If not, would you repent of that this morning, if you're a Christian? And would you get back on the right track with those things? And if you don't know Christ, and you need to make that decision, would you find yourself going to Jason or Kelly or Pat and Williamson, would you talk to me more about what it means to know Christ? And if you're struggling this morning, and you just need prayer, would you have the courage to say, Lord... I need some other people to come around me because this is bigger than me. I can't do this on my own, but I need some people to pray for me. So if you need to do that this morning, would you please do that? Whatever, however the Lord is leading you, would you be faithful to respond to that? Let's all pray together. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everybody stand as we pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today. And God, I, I do hope that as we go through that passage, I know there's so much there, Lord, but I do pray with everything in me that we would understand that, especially as Christians in the room right now, that what makes us united is not the banner of Cross Life East. What makes us united, what makes us unified, what makes us one is a shared faith in Jesus. That there was a moment we said yes to him. He is our foundation. But Lord, I also pray as Christians, we would understand his desire not just to be one, but to live as one to live in unity, to live unified. So we must have, as believers and this church, this local body, we must have one motive to bring glory to you. We must have one mission to see people saved, and we must have one message, and that's the love of God. And God, may we commit to that this morning because ultimately what I want us to be kind of weighted down with today is the goal of unity. There is a lost and a broken world out there. We work with lost people. We live by lost people. And God, may we live in such a way, unified with each other and unified with you. May we live in such a way like that, that they may see our lives and how we live and may be exposed to how much you love them. And not only be exposed to your love, but at some point, trust in your love and believe. So God, today's a lot at stake for believers. May you challenge us to question our motives. Ask us, what is the mission of my life? And ask us, what are we most passionate about? What is the message that we're most passionate about? And if it's not the things we talked about today, Lord, as believers, may we repent of that and get back on the right track. And then, Lord, I pray for maybe that person that's never trusted you, that today they would hear clearly the message of how much you love them. It doesn't matter their past. It doesn't matter what they've done. 
you love them and you care for them. That's what's called grace. We don't deserve it, but you give it anyway. And maybe somebody today needs to receive that, Lord. May they either grab that response card on the seat in front of them. May they go to someone and ask them to pray with them. May they catch me after we're done today. But say today, I need to receive Jesus as my Savior. And then, Lord, I pray for those people. They just need a loving hug. They just got a lot of junk and nonsense and stress going on in their lives, Lord. But those things are big and those things are important and those things affect us spiritually. May they have the courage to go and let people just lift them up, pray for them, and love on them. God, your word is powerful, and I'm not sure how you've moved today. But I do pray, Lord, that we as believers or we that are in this room would respond as you've led us. For it's in your precious and your glorious son's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. If you need to come to the altar, it's open. If you need prayer, Pat and Willie are going to be right over here. Just we'll pull the curtain back, and Jason and Kelly are right over there. If you just need somebody to pray with you, please do that. But if not, this altar is open. But here's what I ask you to do. However the Lord is leading you, would you just be faithful to take a step of faith and respond? So as he leads you, would you move?